Let's pray. Father in heaven, we've just heard a wonderful set of musics that, Father, have stirred our hearts, that have reminded us again of the reason for the season. Oh, Father, may it just grip our heart. May the story of Christmas never fade from our minds. Never, Father, may it continue to satisfy our souls. Oh, Lord, we thank you for the gift of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, when you and I share a story or experience with others, at the end of the day, I think people want to know two things. They want to know what was the purpose of the story, and they want to know what the point of the story is. You know, after all, why spend all this time listening to us, right? And so uh, those two things, people want to know the purpose and the point of our stories or our experiences that we share with them. For example, if we tell a funny story, our point and our purpose might be to find that we found this experience very amusing and we want to share the joy with the other person. Have you ever heard somebody start like this? Hey, I heard a good one the other day. Have you ever heard anybody say that before? That got your interest right away, right? When people say that. And then so they tell the story and man, you just howl and you laugh and you say, oh, I really need that. I really needed that. You see, so sometimes we just want to make people feel better. The Bible says laughter is good medicine. It's also affordable. All right. <laughs> so <laughs> it's one of the few things that we can still do without uh, you know, go, going bankrupt. And so that, that's one thing when we tell good, funny stories. We might share a sad story, too. Perhaps our point, maybe our purpose is to help encourage the other person. Maybe it's to help that person realize that they are more blessed than they think they are. You see, so are there funny stories or there sad stories? There's a purpose and a point. Well, when we come to the point of Christmas, there's oftentimes a purpose and a point also. And sometimes this purpose and this point gets lost, doesn't it? It gets lost in all the lights. It gets lost in all the decorations. It gets lost in all the hassle and all the stress, you know, to, you know, you know, look good and, you know, be good and all this kind of stuff. And so we kind of miss the whole point and purpose of this Christmas story. Well, what is the point and purpose and point of Jesus Christ coming to uh, be, uh, being born on the earth? And so this morning, I want to share with you a few lessons that I've picked up along the way in researching this um, about the point and purpose of Christ's birth. Points that I hope we can pray the Spirit of God from the Word of God will use to move the people of God to exalt Christ and to share the lesson with others so that they will grasp the enormity of Christ coming to earth. And that's a mouthful, but that's really the hope and the desire this morning. Is that as we hear this, as we see God's word and hear God's word and the spirit of God appeal, uh, applying it to our heart, that we will move in, in, a, in a way about Christmas that we have never been moved before. And so to do this, I want to point us to one little passage, one verse. Okay, Second Corinthians chapter eight, Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse nine. And in this little verse, the point about Christmas comes neatly wrapped, waiting to be opened and impacted by all. If you want to put a title to this message, it could be called the ABCs of Christmas. The ABCs of Christmas. The simple points of Christmas. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. And it says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. See, there's many different ways of looking at the Christmas story, isn't there? But what really happened? What uh, what significant thing happened? What important thing really happened when Jesus Christ came to, on earth? Well, this verse wraps it up very nicely for us. So the ABCs of Christmas. A, Christ was rich. Christ was rich, the scripture says. When we think of the whole idea of rich, we naturally begin to think of what? People, of course. If I was in the United States and I was preaching this message, all I have to do is throw some names around like Warren Buffett or maybe perhaps a Bill Gates. And everybody would get the point immediately. Yeah, man, these guys, they've got dollar signs just sort of circling around their heads, you know. They're incredibly rich people. And then, if I'm in Asia, though, who would I think of? Think about it. Does the name Jack Ma ring a bell to you? The founder of, of Alibaba Group Holding Company, the one that just offered this IPO, and within hours they sold out and, and the shares just went through the roof. Overnight, he's a quadrillionaire, you know, easily. Or perhaps you're from another part of Asia. How about this fellow called Li Ka Sheng? The, uh, the, the, the wonderful, the, the fabulously wealthy and successful Hong Kong property and shipping tycoon. You see, so when we think of this idea of rich, we think of names, we think of people. But there's another way to think about this too. When we think of rich, we can also think of categories of rich. Okay, no, hang on with me, stay with me. For example, would you agree with me that there are people we would call incredibly rich? Incredibly rich. These are over-the-top billionaires. Okay? Probably the people we just talked about would fall into that category. Then there's the super rich. These are those that are almost billionaires. Okay? They're almost billionaires. And then there's the medium rich. They're just mere multimillionaires. Okay? Then there's the average rich. These people have more than most people, but they're not incredibly wealthy. Now, you sit there and you say to yourself, okay, I buy it. There's categories of rich. But I'm still not sure that it's so distinct. Let me give you another way to look at this. Suppose we looked at the incredibly rich and we say they own an airline. They own the airline. The super rich, they own a jet. How about the, uh, how, how about the medium rich? They charter a jet. How about the average rich? They fly business class or first class. Okay? So <laughs> you get the idea. There are categories of rich and there are categories of rich. All right? But when we come to thinking about Jesus saying that he was rich, how rich was Jesus? How rich was Jesus? All right? Now, we usually measure how rich a person is by by his his or her person, meaning their character, possessions, position, or power. Okay, those are the normal things that we do. But when you think of Christ, you have to think bigger than that. He had it all. He had it all. Okay? Look at John chapter 1, verse 1. John chapter 1, verse 1. In speaking of his existence on eternity paths with God the Father, in 
John chapter 1, verse 1, it says this to us. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, that's very important that you realize that. Jesus, being the second person of the Trinity, is God. And so whatever God has, he has. What does God have? Everything. All right? He has everything. So Jesus was uh, beyond the incredibly rich. Okay? He had it all. We also know from Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. If you look at your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 17, we read this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things have been created through him and what? For him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Another way to look at this. If you took all of the wealthy people, all of the smartest people on the face of this earth, and you added up all of their assets, all of their possessions, all of their wealth, and you put it all together, and you compared it to what Christ had, guess what? Christ wins. Christ wins flat out. He has a more than any of them put together. Dr. Ray Pritchard, he made this astute observation when he says, Christ didn't leave heaven to pursue riches and power. The whole universe and all that is in it was already his. That's how rich Jesus Christ is. Now, how does this affect us? How should this affect us? Well, we often are fascinated by stories, aren't we? Of those who leave life of luxury to live in more, a more humble life for a good cause. Right? We admire these kinds of people. We are sometimes even inspired by them to do the same. How much more should the sacrifice of Christ to be rich at one time and then to become poor? How should that impact us on a more even daily basis, on a more relatable basis? I met, I had the privilege of meeting this dear, dear couple, and they were missionaries to China. And I didn't think anything particularly, you know, uh, peculiar about that until I sat down with them and again learned their history. Both of them were MIT graduates. Not made in Taiwan, but... MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, okay? A very prestigious technical school. They were top flight engineers. They had the best training and they had high powered degrees and they had abilities to match. And so I asked them, I said, what happened? And they said, you know, with these degrees and with these abilities that you have, your success in this world would be almost guaranteed. And they said, yes. But we felt that God was calling us to China. Fantastic. Tell me more. They went to China, and what did these two people do? They opened a bicycle factory, of all things. They opened a bicycle factory. Why did they open a bicycle factory? Because they wanted to witness to the workers that they would hire. And they have been doing this for decades now. And the the numbers now are just beginning to come in. 
and they're touching lives for Jesus Christ. You see, we are really impressed on a human level when people give up one thing to come to another. Okay? Are we as impressed that Christ gave up the riches of heaven for the poverty of earth? You see, we should be. We should be. You see, and so this statement holds great impact on all of us. Before Christ came to earth, he was beyond. He was incomparably rich, not incredibly rich. He was incomparably rich. And so get that into your head. Jesus Christ left a lot for us. Well, what does 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9 says? He became poor. This is B. This is B. B is he became poor. What does this mean? Well, the Christmas story does help try to fill in some of the blanks. They talk about his rather humble and, and, and uh, menial life, so to speak. Okay? For example, he was born in a remote village in a forgotten province. Okay? He wasn't born in Rome. You know, he wasn't born in some major city of, of reputation or anything like that. He was born in Bethlehem. If anything, they didn't even have a stoplight. Okay, and people would just sort of breeze through there. Okay, and he was born in a, this this remote village. He was birthed to a despised race of people. You know, he didn't come from royalty. He didn't, in in the sense that that we think of. He wasn't born in a prestigious, well known family, powerful family. He, he was born, if anything, in a despised race because the Jews were looked down upon. He was wrapped in rags and slept in a feeding trough. Of all things. You know. I, good night. I, I don't think any of us. Especially the young parents today. I don't think we would want to put our children. In a feeding trough. Right. We would find something else. I remember when our first child was born. We didn't have any. So we put him in the drawer of a bureau. You know. And we don't tell them that. Because you know. That might affect their self image and all that. But, but you know. A few weeks later we got a crib. Okay. But you know. We just. Opened the drawer and put them in. They were that small, you know. And so, but, but think about this. Here was the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And what? He's wrapped up and he's put in a feeding trough, you know. Boy, how humble can you get? So that much this Christmas story tells us. But is there more? Yes, there is. While the Christmas story doesn't, it, it, it does tell us something. It didn't tell us that he became flesh. He became flesh. If you look at John chapter 1 again, John chapter 1, and you'll see in verse 14, you'll see these powerful words. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. He wrapped him, literally, this means he wrapped himself in flesh. This speaks of his incarnation, okay? Now, think about that for a minute. Here he was in the throne rooms of heaven. He was the mighty God, and he wrapped himself in a human body. You know, you know, the human body is a fantastic thing, okay? I understand that because from my physiology and anatomy courses and stuff like that. But it can't compare with God. It can't compare with being God. And so it wasn't an upgrade. It was a downgrade, if anything. He wrapped himself in flesh. The story also doesn't tell us that he set aside his privileges and prerogatives. 
If you look at Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, and we see these precious words. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 on through 8. It says this, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped. But, verse 7, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Emptied was probably best being translated as set aside. Set aside. He set aside all of the privileges and prerogatives that were at his disposal. Such as what? Privilege wife. He set aside having a personal face-to-face relationship with God the Father. Can you imagine every morning Jesus would... Well, he doesn't wake up, but Jesus is up there in heaven. And boy, him and the Father are having a tremendous relationship. And so he gave that up. He set that aside. He set aside exercising independent authority as he submitted himself to the will of the Father. Those are the kinds of things that he set aside. Prerogative-wise, he set aside voluntary display of his divine attributes and submitted to the Spirit's direction at any given time. He set aside eternal riches by being poor and owning very little. All of these things Jesus did when he became poor. He took on flesh. He set aside all of his rights and his privileges and giftings and abilities. All for us. Sometimes we don't, we have a hard time understanding that, don't we? We don't have a hard time understanding that. What does it mean that we become poor? That we, we go from here and we go to there. I was reading the story once of J. Hudson Taylor, founder of China Inland Mission. And the story goes that he was so intent on sharing the love of Jesus with the great masses of people in China that he was willing to go the extra mile, okay, against conventional missionary thinking. He would go out there and he would actually dress eat, speak, and do everything that the Chinese people did. He did not separate himself in the missionary compounds and so on and so forth. He didn't separate himself by the way he dressed and the way he conducted himself. He became more like the Chinese. Why? Because he wanted, he felt that that was the key to communicating the truths of God to these people. And many people were brought to Jesus Christ because of his sacrifice and because of his ministry. So it would be also that as we observe Jesus Christ, he was rich, incomparably rich, but he became poor. Why? So that he may communicate to us the truths of God and the love of God. Christ was unbelievably rich, but he voluntarily became poor. He left the riches of heaven for the poverty of earth in order that he might show us the love of God. Those were the A's and B's of Christmas. Christ was rich. Christ became poor. What is C? Why did he do it? Because that we might become rich. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9 says. This was the purpose behind Christmas. That we would become rich. If I walked up to anybody on the street and said, you want to become rich? I'll bet you they would stop and listen. Most of them. 
Okay? A great many of them. Would you stop if someone said to you, do you want to be rich? You know? Well, some of you would say, yeah, you're a nutcase. Get out of here, you know. But most of us, probably because of our own desires, to say, sure, we're willing to listen. Well, Jesus came that we might be rich. How does this work? When one accepts Christ as their personal Savior, they not only receive forgiveness of sin and eternal life, which already is a great gift, but also many other graces of God. Well, like what, Pastor? We exchange our, with Christ our sin for his righteousness. We ex- exchange our sin for his righteousness. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 And he says, this is how it happened. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Theologians talk to to us about this and they say this is the technical term for imputation. It means that Christ credited us with his righteousness. It is given to our account. The result of this crediting is that our relationship with God is restored. Because Christ died on the cross for our sins. See, he paid a debt that no one else could pay. You got it? And so, imagine that. If somebody were to come up to you. Let's say you had accumulated a huge monster debt. And nobody on the face of this earth, Jack Ma or Bill Gates included, could never pay that debt. Jesus Christ paid that kind of debt. He paid that debt for you and me and restored us to Jesus Christ. And so that is what one of the graces that has been given to us. He's made us rich in righteousness and so that we can have our relationship restored to God. Is there another thing? Yes. We are also made heirs and co-heirs with Christ. This is given to us in Romans chapter 8, verse 16 through 17. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. How are you and I made rich in Christ because of what Christ did? How? We are given righteousness. Our relationship with God is restored. And we are also made heirs and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Before we met Christ, we were spiritual paupers. Our pockets were empty. We had no status or standing. We had nothing to offer God. The scripture tells us our good works were as filthy rags. Right? Isn't that what it says? We have nothing to offer God. But after we meet Christ, we are crowned with every good thing. And our rags have been replaced with robes of righteousness. Because of what Christ did for us. C.S. Lewis said it this way. The Son of God became the Son of Man in order that the sons of men might become the sons of God. Whoa, the sons of God. I have this warped sense of imagination, I guess, sometimes. And I imagine that someday when I get to heaven and when you get to heaven, and we're walking through the pearly gates and we're walking through the the streets of gold and all that kind of stuff, there'll be the angels and other created beings, and they'll be looking. 
And they'll be looking at us as we're walking. And they'll slowly come and they'll kind of make way. And we'll come through. And they'll say, he's the son of God. He's a child of God. You see? Jesus Christ came. He was rich. He became poor. That you and I might become rich. You see? We can become the children of God. Well, because of the ABCs of Christmas, there's many kinds of applications, I suppose. And so let me share some with you. Just as there are many more letters in the alphabet after ABC, there are, there is, there are many more sh- stories of Christmas. There's more and more purposes and points of the story of Christmas. But let me just share D, E, and F with you. Okay? D, E, and F. And if you think this is easy, try it. <laughs> it's really hard. D, E, and F. All right? D, declare this message of how enriched We are because of Christ. Declare this message. Declare this message. Don't hide it. Declare it. Share it with people. Share it with all generations. The ABCs of Christmas. You know, I'm like you. I I need motivation. Don't, Don't you need motivation to do the right thing sometimes? We all do. And so I looked at, you know, I get a lot of these Christmas cards and I get a lot of, you know, articles about Christmas and stuff. And people are always writing some beautiful things and they share it with you, you know. And so I went back in my box and I found this one. And I thought this is very touching. This is very motivating to me. And there was these four lines that were written by somebody. And they said this. I was naked and you clothed me in righteousness. I was hungry, and you fed me with the bread from heaven. I was thirsty, and you gave me living water. I was dead in my trespasses and sin, and you gave me life. Wow. It made me stop for a minute to think how much Christ gave to me. It makes possible. And you can write your own four lines. I don't know what it would say. But it would just add up to something fantastic. Declare this message of how we've been enriched because of Christ. E. Embrace this truth in your own heart. If you haven't already. Embrace this truth in your own heart. And you can. John chapter 1 verse 12. John chapter 1, verse 12, it says this, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And that's my plea to you today. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that you would realize through the ABCs of Christmas, how much has been made available to you if you are willing to receive and believe Jesus Christ as your Savior. And this whole idea of embracing the truth in your own heart is very important. I was looking back on some, I have this sort of record of notable things I've heard people say, and I try to keep a record and I try to note them down and, I heard this one time that was said by somebody. You can only share 
what you already have. I'm sure you've all heard that, right? You've all heard that, right? Okay. But I heard this too. You can only receive what you have when you believe. You can't give away Christ if you don't have Christ. You see? So that's why it's so important for you to embrace Jesus Christ yourself. You see? D. E F faithfully live out your new life in Christ every day in obedience and trust in obedience and trust. You know, there's so much about the Christian life that can only by be explained by obedience and by trust. If you sit there too long and you try to make sense of everything that God asks you to do, you'll fail miserably. Or you'll end up never even trying. Right? You won't. But oftentimes, what, Jesus, what, Christ, what God does is he just says, trust and obey. That's all he says. That's all he says. Remember that great hymn, Trust and Obey? Some of you are nodding your heads. Others of you are kind of, I don't know. Great hymn. You ought to look it up in the hymnal in front of you. Trust and Obey. Faithfully live out your new life in Christ every day in obedience and trust. So, the ABCs of Christmas. Christ was rich. Christ became poor. Why? That we might become rich. That's the purpose and the point of Christmas. So, how rich are you in Christ? Let's pray. Father, your word has a way. The writers of scripture have called it sharper than a two-edged sword. And it is indeed that. And this morning, you have cut through all of the myths And errors about Christmas. And you have simply said to us. That your son was rich. And he became poor. So that we would become rich. Is there any greater purpose or point? Oh Lord. Seal this to our heart. Help us Lord. To declare it. Help us, O Lord, to embrace it. Help us, O Lord, to faithfully live it. In Jesus' name, amen.